Good morning. Good morning. morning. (laughs) Welcome to East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. This past week, many of us took time to gather with family and friends, to fellowship, and to remember what it is we are thankful for. I was a little bit discouraged, however, that by Thursday evening, consumerism had taken over our society. Um, But I took some time to read through some Henry Nouwen reading, and I found some comfort in his words from his book, Here and Now. One of the tragedies of our life is that we keep forgetting who we are and waste a lot of time and energy to prove what doesn't need to be proved. We are God's beloved daughters and sons, not because we have proven ourselves worthy of God's love, but because God freely chose us. It is hard to to stay in touch with our true identity because those who want our money, our time, and our energy profit more from our insecurity and fears than from our inner freedom. We, therefore, need discipline to keep living truthfully and not succumb to the endless seductions of our society. Wherever we are, there are voices saying, go here, go there, buy this, buy that, get to know him, get to know her, don't miss this, don't miss that, and so on, and so on. These voices keep pulling us away from the soft, gentle voice that speaks in the center of our being. You are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. Today, we are taking time to gather as the body of Christ, to give thanks to and praise the one who calls us beloved. Music will be a major part of our worship this morning, so I invite you to look ahead in the bulletin and find your place so that we can enter into singing together. We'll begin with number 91 in your hymnal worship books. Number 91. And I invite you to stand in body and or spirit as we sing together. Number 91. We'll sing this with good energy and at a good pace, but when we get to verse 5, we will slow it down and savor each chord and each word as we sing. Number 91.
Well, this is our final Sunday of our 12 Scripture series. It's been a time of identifying passages from the Bible that are near and dear to our hearts as individuals and also as a congregation. And it's been a time of sharing with each other about them. Although I wasn't here last Sunday, I was able to listen to the sharing that took place on by podcast. That's a really nice feature that we have here. And that sharing was rich. I'm so glad that that can happen among us so freely. This morning, on this Thanksgiving Sunday, we turn with gratitude to passages that have spoken into our experiences of joy and pain and struggle in some very profound and personal ways. Some of these texts offer us a way of seeing and being present to the world. Others offer us words to pray our deepest longings and our deepest praise. Still others offer us visions of hope, even in the midst of despair. Keith Hoover will begin our time of sharing as he reflects on portions of Ecclesiastes, a book that has been quite significant for him. Thanks, Keith, for your willingness to share with us. Long car trips, as I remember them in grade school, were peppered with a few key ingredients. Obligatory fights with my older brother, a plea for any manner of snacks that mom may have packed for the trip, and of course the frequent asking, are we there yet? However, I do remember a key moment that in a seeming strike of, stroke of genius, my mom pulled out a uh, great way to placate the board travelers in the back seat, Mad Libs. For you, those of you who are unfamiliar with Mad Libs, they are basically stories with the typical problem, conflict, and resolution plotline, only with key words blanked out throughout the entire story, instead prompting you to fill in noun, verb, adjective. And so as you can imagine for grade school children, we would try and think of the best way to sabotage a story. My brother and I would go back and forth trying to think of ever more crazy nouns and adjectives, and basically hilarity would ensue. I distinctly remember how often belly button lint would save his princess from the evil shower cap, and they'd live happily ever after. We'd cross out and erase the stories and use them over and over, and yet, even as the fun lasted well beyond the typical attention span of a kid, I remember that no matter how often you'd swap out those nouns, verbs, and adjectives, the story would largely stay the same, a repetition of what came before it, only with slightly different characters. Fast forward a few years, and I am now the perfect storm that is the teenage boy, filled with all the opposing forces of angst, longing, and hormonal carnality that is a white male American teenager. It is in the chaos that I found the book of the Bible that to this day I count as my favorite and revisit often. I discovered the book largely by accident. What would bring a teenage boy to open his dusty and largely untouched Bible to turn of all places into the middle of the Old Testament? Why, what other book than the Song of Solomon? But... That is not what I'm here to reflect on today. 
It was a book I discovered in my hunt for Song of Solomon that profoundly impacted me. The book before it, Ecclesiastes. I didn't even need to read more than a few chapters before I started recognizing the themes of music I enjoyed listening to, whether it was the easy ones like Pete Seeger's Turn, 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 Papa Rise by the Birds. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. And a time for war and a time for peace. And even more passages hinted at my favorite music including more hidden references to Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind, Ecclesiastes 1, 16 to 17. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of the wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of the madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is a chasing after the wind. And, of course, the always familiar refrain, Ecclesiastes 8.15, so I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it reads pretty much like an old man, bitter at life. He's been dealt a bad hand and is essentially saying that Pretty much all of human pursuits are meaningless. I feel like I need to uh, point out here that I'm not ordinarily a depressed person. On balance, I tend to be an optimist, albeit with a generous dose of cynicism. But it is this cruel reality that the wise old sage in Ecclesiastes portrays that seems more realistic to me than the fluffy poetry in Psalms or the bite-sized wisdom in Proverbs. To me, it's the methodical nature that he strips down all the pursuits of humankind to the bare essentials. And and it doesn't so much depress me, but gives me something to live by. You might even call it hope. It's the biblical equivalent of kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. It's easy for me to get bogged down in worries both small, like whether my two-year-old will nap this afternoon. To those more significant, such as how am I supposed to support my dad, make time to grieve myself, and help my my son understand the loss of my mother. There's actually hope in knowing that there's nothing new under the sun. And the problems that I have are the same as those centuries before, and the cycle of life will continue long after I'm gone. Much like those Mad Libs in grade school, whether it's belly button lint or a shower cap that rescues the princess, the story remains the same. There is a time and a place for everything, 
and that which is meaningful also remains the same. Ecclesiastes 3.12-13 I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat, drink, and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. God of our life through all the circling years, we trust in thee. Number 486. We now move on to Psalm 46. Psalm 46 describes a world filled with tumult, a world I think that many of us can connect with. We have seen the mountains shake in the heart of the sea. Its waters roar and foam, and tsunamis wipe out whole cities. They wipe out life in Indonesia and in Japan. We have seen, this week especially, we have seen that nations are in an uproar. Violence erupts between Israelis and Palestinians. The conflict in Syria intensifies. Protests mount in Egypt. The war in Afghanistan continues, and rebels dance in the streets of Goma, Congo, as systemic, systematic rape 
is routinely employed as a weapon of war. Where is God? In the midst of it all, the psalmist tells us, fully present and unshaken. In the midst of the tumult of our world, Psalm 46 invites us to turn to this God for our refuge, to lean on this God for our strength, to be still and to know that God is God. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear, he burns the shields with fire. Be still, and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Number 328. We'll sing verse 1 and verse 6 in unison. Women on verse 2 and men on verse 3. Number 328.
Be still and know that I am God. We're hoping that you know this chorus. Let's sit quietly for a moment and then sing that chorus together. Be still. Life is full of uncertainty and challenge. We encounter many things, many situations of, over which we have very little or perhaps no control. In the face of this reality, Psalm 23 invites us to trust in our loving shepherd, who provides for our deepest needs, satisfying our hunger quenching our thirst, providing us rest, and guiding us on sure paths. The unfailing presence of the shepherd accompanies us everywhere, even through the valley of the shadow of death. In the loving care of our shepherd, we need not be afraid. The shepherd's goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, wherever, wherever our journeys take us. Psalms 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the, sh- the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, 
they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Let's sing this psalm together, number 578. Verse 3 will be in unison, and once again, verse 5, we will slow down and savor each note. Number 578. Three hundred fifty two.
One Sunday, a number of years ago, at Akron Mennonite Church, the junior youth were asked to debate this statement. If you trust in God, everything will work out. Well, the group divided into two. One side argued yes, and one side argued no. And I'm I'm curious. If we had that debate here this morning, which side would you end up on? Well, I'm not exactly sure what it means for everything to work out. I do know that in our text from Romans 8, that the Apostle Paul seems to suggest that faith does not grant us immunity from hardship and from struggle, from suffering. It does, however, provide us a way through it. That way is love. The good news that we hear in Romans 8 is that there is nothing, there is not anything that we experience in this world or in the world to come that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can separate us from the power of God's love that is at work for good in our lives and in the world. Thanks be to God. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, 35, and 37 to 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Number 580, My Life Flows On, 580. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 4, 1, 2, and 4.
The next song is actually in Sing the Story, the purple book. Sing the Story, number 121. Sing the Story, number 121. We're going to do this uh, first page antiphonally, beginning with the side on my right. Nothing is lost on the breath of God. Sing Sing line one. And this side respond with line two. Nothing is lost forever. Back to this side with line three. God's breath is love, and that love will remain And this side responds, holding the world forever. We'll do that pattern for each verse, and then I'll sing together on the second page. Number 121.
As we look at our world where those who are weak are dominated by those with power, where hunger grows alongside predatory greed, and violence seems to rule the day, the picture we see is bleak, even despairing. In the midst of this reality, we hear the words of Micah and Revelation. Without denying the pain that their readers are experiencing in their worlds and in their current situations, they offer an alternative vision of where this world is ultimately headed. They offer this vision to us. A vision of a world where swords are beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. A world where people can live in peace and unafraid. It's a vision of a world where there will be no more death or mourning or pain. Where every tear will be wiped from our eyes. It's a vision we may not yet be able to see with our eyes. But we begin to see it with our hearts as we trust that God is at work to bring healing and hope to our world. As we trust that God's kingdom of justice, love, and peace, of which we catch a tiny glimpse from time to time, is on its way and will one day be fully present throughout the whole world. With our hearts, we see this new world coming, and we begin to live as if it's already here. Micah 4, verses 1 through 4. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised up above the hills. People shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall arbitrate between between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against a nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
See, the, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be and will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Let's sing these amazing visions together. Number 323. And I invite you to stand in body or spirit as we sing number 323. 